Welcome to Second Cherry, almost a Eurovision podcast. This week, we travel to Russia. Hello, and welcome to Second Cherry. I'm Matt. And I'm Monty. This is the podcast that revives the songs that didn't make it to the Eurovision Song Contest. Each week we take you through a different country's national final and pick the cherry that we think deserves a second chance, a second bite of the cherry. And at the end of the series, you, the listeners, vote for your favourites and at our live event we crown the winner of the Second Cherry Song Contest. And there we are, Monty, hello. Здравствуйте, Matt, как yeah, all right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you got the question. That is why you say, how are you in Russian? The answer, right. if you're feeling really good, you would say, no, normalna. Normalna. Yeah, I'm normal. Normal. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get overexcited in telling no. you who they are. But, dobro pozhelovat na vtaroi vishnu, bachti podcast evrovidienia. Sevonia, mujedi vrasiu. I'm just showing off. Yeah. <laughs> if you hadn't already, uh, if you don't know this, or if you are new to the podcast, uh, yes, Monty does speak Russian. He's studied Russian. He's lived in Russia, didn't you go? I did. I used yeah. to live in the Soviet Union yeah. uh, in Russia, but when it was still part of the Soviet Union, um, it disbanded while I was there in 91 to 92. Not my fault. <laughs> it just happened to be there. You were too the gay, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wasn't out then. I wasn't out until after I lived in Russia, when I lived in Germany. Um, but yes, I mean, I knew I was gay <laughs> then when I lived in, um, in Russia. But it was still illegal at the mm. time. Yeah. Well, there you go then. We've come, well, not very far. Maybe <laughs> <really. laughs> <Any> steps. <laughs> but yeah, no, my Russian is really rusty now. So don't put me on the spot today. But I will try and chip in a little bit if I can. So yes, so yes, we are we are in Russia this week, and uh, Monty, won't you tell us about Russia at Eurovision? So Russia made their debut in 1994 at the song contest. Uh, the song was Vietnam Stranik, Eternal Wanderer, and it was sung by Yudif, um, a singer whose, that was her stage name, her real name was Masha Katz. Um, it came ninth, it's a quite respectable debut actually, with 70 points. And it was the first time that Russian had been sung on the Eurovision stage as a, as a language. I loved this at the time. I mean, it's just after I finished studying. So Russia taking part was very exciting for me. And, uh, Yudif had, um, quite the frock. It sort of, you know, came up and she whipped it around her head and it had it sort of trailing bits on the arms. She could do all some manner of poses with it. It's quite the performance. It's certainly worth checking out if you don't know it. Um, I was also very excited in the early years of Russia because in 1997 they were represented by the queen of Russian pop, Ala Pugacheva. And we knew of Ala Pugacheva when 
I was living there and I mean, she was a huge, huge star, by far the biggest name in, in Eurovision that year. I mean, Katrina and the Waves, who won and who were a big name, paled into insignificance against the fame of Ala Pugacheva in Russia. Absolutely huge. I remember um, our Russian lecturer talking about her when we when she, she was introducing us to who Ala Pugacheva was when we lived in Russia. And she had a great phrase to describe her. She said, which means, oh, she parades around with her chest thrust forward, <laughs> which basically means like tits first. <laughs> but it's an absolute image of her, how she would totter around on stage in her, in her heels. So it was so exciting for me when she, when she came and participated in Eurovision, this colliding of my worlds. So Russia has participated 23 times since then. Uh, they didn't participate in 1996, but that was the year there was a pre-qualification round, which was um, only in audio, and they didn't qualify. So that's not counted officially as um, them having participated at all. Um, in 1998, they failed to qualify after Anna Pugacheva, um, based on their average points. Um, so that was very disappointing. It was a bit of a... A bit of a very poor result for Anna Pugacheva, actually. Um, and um, they refused to broadcast it. So under the rules at the time, mm. it also meant they couldn't participate the following year because they hadn't broadcast it the year before. So in 99, they sat out as well. But they came back in 2000. They participated every year except for 2017 when they withdrew. But more of that later. So Russia has qualified every year that they have officially participated, except for 2018, which was Yulia Samoylova with I Won't Break. Mm. Ironically, she broke the record of qualification. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, we'll mention her a little bit later in the podcast as well, as uh, we're going to have a bit of a potted history, an extended potted history of, uh, of Russia's Participation. Relations. Relations, yes. (laughs) Uh, The best um, result for Russia was in 2008, of course, with Dima Balan, who won with Believe. He also featured on stage um, Yevgeny Plushenko, the Olympic figure skating champion, world champion, and now Eurovision winning backing dancer on ice. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, also the Hungarian violinist Edvin Martin, who was playing a Stradivarius. So they really pulled out the stops. Olympic champions, super expensive, old instruments. Uh, Dima as well had been um, previously in the contest in 2006 with Never Let You Go. He'd come second. And it really felt as though he was pushing for a win. Mm. This was something which was important to his career. He'd had quite a big career. He was a big, big star by then. Um, started as a little pop starlet. And uh, the, as were as is the wont of pop starlets in Russia, he took part in some saucy photo shoots, <laughs> which you can find on the internet. Uh, there's a shot of him in the buff, uh, as a mechanic, standing behind a, a locker room door. And there's just a glimpse of testicle Ooh. at the side. <laughs> on purpose, maybe? I think it's very on purpose, yes. I think <laughs> very on purpose. Uh, yes, so that's was quite common. There's a strange picture of Sergei Lazarev as well in the buff, um, with a woman chained to a radiator. Oh, yes. Yes. I remember that picture thinking, this is confusing on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, Dima Balan, the only Russian win, although they've tilted it a win many times. Let's hear it. 
Matt, Dima Belan there. Any thoughts? Mm, no. Not, mm, not my favourite winner. Just going to be kind. Okay, song. There you go. We like to call them Diva Banal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into it then. Let's get into the <clears throat> national final of this year. So we were, I suppose, surprised a little bit that we were getting a Russian national final. Well, yeah, out of the blue, we had the news that we were going to have the national final called Evrovie Denier Nationalny Atbor 2021. And there we go. There was the news that was coming through. When did we get that news? It was really late in the day. Just a it week was before. Really late. It started to be rumoured around the second or third of March, and then That's the right. actual Atbor. Uh, took place on the on the eighth eighth of March. Yeah, so that was held at the Moss Film Studios in Moscow, hosted by Jana Jurikova, who I met in Lisbon. Very nice lady, I have to say. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh. When I got backstage, someone took me backstage and I spoke to her, and she was actually really lovely. And um, it wasn't until my friend said to me like, "That's the Russian." I knew she was the Russian commentator because mm. that's the way in which I met her. Yeah. But um, it, I didn't realise how kind of big she was. Like now that's that's like oh, basically like okay. the Russian Graham Norton. Like mm. she's a big deal. I was like, oh, oh, she's lovely. You mean I didn't get that from her? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the format of the national final was three artists and songs participating, and the winner was selected through a public televote. The show was broadcast on Channel One uh, as well as online via the broadcaster's website. One TV dot RU, which is how I watched it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, so talking about this confusion then over the national final, because in March 2020, Little Big announced that uh, in an interview, they would put forward some songs and they would be happy to be selected again, considering their Eurovision was cancelled. However, a year later, rumours started of this national final and it seemed to be sort of rather hastily put together. A bit of a last minute thing. On March the 3rd, Super.ru, which is a tabloid uh, paper, published a leaked shortlist um, of songs and stated that according to information from the group's environment, the, the guys, little big that is, simply did not have a decent musical material to take part in the competition for the second year in a row. But producer Jana Rudkowska criticised the idea with a new selection initiated by Channel One, saying that it would be worthwhile to send Little Big again, which would still cope with the task. However, according to insiders, there is still a chance that the musicians will find a hit before the selection and present it to the public. Well, yeah, Little Big did release a song, Sex Machine, on the day of the national final, performed that at the national final as well. And they had a video um, referencing uh, Uno, which is their 2020 entry from the cancel contest. But they posted on Instagram 
that they're not going to Eurovision 21 and that they think that Russia has many talented and unique artists. Each one of them deserves a chance to be seen out there. So that's what happened. I All of that points to me, mm. at least, as Sex Machine being the song that they wanted to submit and the broadcaster not agreeing to it. You know, maybe on moral grounds or maybe on grounds that they just didn't like it. But it does seem as though it was a very last-minute decision. Given the haste at which the national final was arranged, I think something has happened. Been little Big were lined up, but something's happened at the last minute and the broadcasters went, no, we're not doing it. Yeah, 100%, because it, there's just no reason why you wouldn't. Little Big are so well known, it, it, it's a no-brainer. They were going to do very well in that cancelled Eurovision. Yeah, and that song, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but I remember thinking, oh, that's pretty cool that's yeah it's it'll be up there it's gonna it could do quite well at Eurovision perhaps it was felt that the lyrics being about a sex machine might bring the contest into disrepute <laughs> <laughs> okay well Russia taking the high line <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um originally for the, for the national final actually and I think you could sort of tell it was hastily put together because not that it was cheap or anything but you know, if you were to see the way that they announced Natalia Gordienko this year with uh, Russian producer Kirkorov, Philip Kirkorov, and that whole shebang that happened, we spoke about it on the podcast. If they can, you know, it, it was it was a they would make a big deal out of it. This was a small studio, very hastily put together. You could tell. Um, the, the producers shortlisted five acts initially. Three pulled out uh, due to being busy. Okay, uh, and then they brought in the two acts, the so the um, Tiamites and Dve Mashi. So they went to the final, and then very last minute, Manisha was added. And as we know, Manisha she won the national final with thirty nine point seven percent of the telly vote. Going on to Eurovision itself, Manisha put up a good fight. For, for Russian women, for all women around the world, I think. She qualified third from the semi-final with 225 points, which then she played ninth in the final with 204 points. And, um, well, we've made no bones about it on this podcast. We, we love her and we love the song, right? Absolutely. I mean, she was like the revelation of this national final for me. Um, such an interesting artist. You know, if you go back and look at some of her previous work, it's really interesting. And obviously she's an outspoken feminist. She's a, um, a supporter of LGBT rights. Exactly what you don't expect from Russia. It does feel as though she kind of slipped through the net. Um, and, you know, she's only been added because they're like, oh, hang on, we need somebody else in this, in this final to pad it out a bit. And then... She's got on the one and just done amazing things. Yeah, so happy about that. So let's, before we have a little listen to that, Monty, I mean, the right song won, right? Really? Must absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's no doubt about it. This was the winner of this small selection. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So let's have a little listen. This is Manisha, Russian woman. Теперь зарубите себе на носу. Я вас не виню, а себя я чертовски люблю. Сын без отца, дочь без отца, 
I love her. I absolutely love her. Can we make her, make her come back? Can we can we have her around? I would something? love her to come back. I mean, we've got to embrace her in the Eurovision sphere somehow. Whether she'll ever get back on the stage from Russia, or whether they let her, I don't know. But I mean, she went home with a decent result, top yeah. ten. You know, deservedly. Oh, so. absolutely. Like, deservedly no, there was well. no gimmicks. It was no Russian. I don't know, games being played. This was 100% song and artist delivering. Yeah, and a reflection of young Russia, contemporary Russia. You know, the voices that we don't often hear through the, the state-filtered approach and, you know, the, the them sanctioning an artist to go. Um, you know, the, so it was just joy. Um, yeah, they'll not make the same mistake again. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the thing about only having three artists in the national final is we only have two songs to discuss. So let's get on with it. Okay, then, song number one is Future is Bright by Tiamites. Monty, thoughts? Well, I've only just cottoned on that their name, Termites, is like a play on termites. termites yeah. <laughs> Um, so this is it's a Russian indie band um, and uh, in the if what I could find about it was said they bring together a mix of trip hop acid jazz breakbeat house disco funk and pop didn't sound that interesting to me I have to say <laughs> it was founded by musician producer and composer Anton Belyaev in 2004 so they've been around a while yeah they're yeah. an established act I actually I could find on on the line there's quite a lot about them you know they've they've done an awful lot um so this starts quite slow this singer is sort of drawling um on top of the music the band are in cube shapes formed out of strip lights it's as if somebody's taken Suri's set from 2018 and reassembled it in a different shape and then they put the band in them. It's very, yeah, it's like light box frames. Yes, yeah. yeah. So it kind of plods along. There's a slight flurry of activity in the middle. <laughs> Some conical laser lights come on. Um, the lighting changes to a bit of a red hue and he tries to drum up a bit of interest by to urging the audience to clap along. But he only does about half a dozen claps himself before he gets out of it. <laughs> um, the camera... Pans on to Little Big, who they suddenly clap along because they realise the camera's on. <laughs> and then with about 30 seconds to go, it feels as though it finally ramps up a little bit. Um, you know, the stage is a flurry of colour. He fiddles about this keyboard. Um, but it, the last 30 seconds sounds a little bit like they're all playing a slightly different tune at a slightly different time. Yeah. And then it just ends. So it's a strange little song. I have to vocally and in terms of the composition, it reminded me quite a lot of Sting. Yes. I really that got that impression. voice. And actually, yes. is, I put down, it's a classic rock voice, actually. Just classic mm. rock. Yeah. Yeah, quite old school. Yeah, it was so sonically like Sting. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. But the lyrics, I thought, were a little bit... 
cliche, the future is bright, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. It's a little bit sort of trite some comments being rolled out there. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah. it's like, it's talking a bit about life being a bit rubbish. Yeah, but as the song title says, the future's bright. It's because it's like a happy, sad song hmm. in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hope that the future is brighter than he makes it sound. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't really selling it for me, yeah. I think, I, I think you're right. It, there was a lot of dark lighting as well, which didn't help until obviously it kind of blew up a little bit and they went into it. I do like the old school disco floor. That was like on the ceiling that, mm, that lit up, yes. and like the squares. And I thought yeah. that was quite cute. Um, yeah, but despite that, all that colour, it did it did feel a little bit like the song's not going to get going, mm. and um, it's a bit forgettable. So, yeah, you can tell that they're well put together as a band. The song actually was well produced, quite nice bassy beat. I quite like that, mm. but competent but not competitive. I don't think. Yeah, I definitely wanted it to give me some more. Yeah. So, song two is Bitter Words by Dre Mashi. So Dwey Mashi are a duo from Moscow. Um, it's two women called Maria, Maria Zaitseva and Maria Sheik. And Masha is the diminutive form from Maria. And there's two of them. So they're called Dwey Mashi, two Mashi, two Mashas. Mashi is the plural of Masha in, in Russia. Um, so that's, that's how they get their name. What did you think of this, Matt? Um, I prefer this over song number one. Yeah, um, I, I think the vocals uh, are a bit strained from Masha, the singer Masha. Because <laughs> so there's, there's two Mashas. One's more rappy, one's more singy. <laughs> one's more crappy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the vocalist Masha, it felt a bit strained. I think that's her style, though. Um, I kind of heard that thing before. But it does make the diction quite tricky. And it's probably quite limiting, actually, the things that she can sing. But um, she's selling it well. She's really, you know, the performance is fine. And talking of strain, the lyrics suggest like a rocky relationship mm. with lyrics like, every bitter word we say to each other, breaking down the rules one, af- one after another. You keep on standing still watching bridges are burning. You don't really deserve me. You will never deserve me. Um, so quite forceful there, you know. They kind of perform with a slight, like they're performing to each other, like it's a, they're, they're the relationship. I don't know. It's a bit confusing for me. Um, but this has a lot more going on stage. It's a bit more interesting than the other song, Spanish rap in the middle. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> well, um, yeah. yeah, some, some have Spanish. You accidentally switched on like like uh, I don't know, like Duolingo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Checking my browser settings when I was watching that. <laughs> it is it is a strange song. It is a, it's a bit of a face off song. Mm. Uh, you know, singing sort of against each other, and she's talking about every every bit of word that they say to each other, um, how the other doesn't really deserve them. Um, I wasn't really sure whether they were singing it to each other about each other 
or whether they were singing it as if they might sing to like a ne'er do well boyfriend or something. Yeah, or they're singing it to each other, but like in solidarity because they're both going through the same thing. Ah, I don't know. It was kind of a bit confusing for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking, is there a sort of, is there a bit of a same sex vibe going on here? Are they like a, you know, a ruble shop version of tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the start, I did think, oh, there's is that sexual tension here, or is that mm. just just them? You know. Yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting. I think um, one of the mashers, well, both of them seemed very street in the way that they presented themselves visually, uh, in their clothing, and also the the way they performed the song. Um, one was in a, a tracksuit, um, but a hair pulled back in a very tight ponytail with a couple of sort of thin plaits coming down the front. And I thought, oh, she's like the Vicky Pollard of Nizhny Novgorod. <laughs> uh, and the other masher was in, had this fantastic sort of blue fringed cardi mm. on. Uh, it sort of looked like she modelled herself on Salome, um, the Spanish winner from 1969 <laughs> in that sort of tasseled um, sort of, you know, light blue dress. It's exactly the same hue and exactly the same effect from the, uh, from, from the, the tassels. Well, well, maybe she did because they, I mean, they're rapping in Spanish, so why not? There you go. There you go. Throwback. Yeah. We appreciate that nod. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guitarist in this I'd like to have uh, seen more of as well and he whipped his trumpet out in the, in the in middle bit and we played do, the trumpet. We do like that. A multi-skilled musician good with his hands and his lips. I like that. <laughs> so they are the two songs, just two. I mean, I wonder which one we'll choose. I mean, oh, the suspense. <laughs> we'll have to keep you guessing till the end of the episode. As there are only two songs, we thought we'd pad this episode out a little bit and we thought we'd talk about, well, one of the the most prominent features of Russia at Eurovision. And that's controversy. Um, and in particular, controversy with its neighbour, Ukraine. Regional geopolitics, despite the organisers wanting an apolitical event, has always played out in some form on the Eurovision stage. And perhaps no greater than in the relationship between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, it even has its own Wikipedia page <laughs> about the tensions between Ukraine and Russia at the Eurovision Song Contest. I mean, things were quite cordial until Russia decided to annex Crimea. <laughs> that's, that's mad because, like, they were given sharing points like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of cultural ties between of the course, country. Yeah. You know, there's lots of Ukrainians live in Russia. There's lots of Russia's, Russians live in Ukraine. You know, and that's from Soviet times when, you know, you had your constituent republics, but actually it was all one nation. So lots of, you know, moving around, lots of, lots of migration within the country. Um, and culturally, you know, people, they'd like the same thing. They would listen to the same kind yeah. of pop music. They'd listen to the same artists. So the, you know, the artists that would be known in one country would be known in the other. So, I mean, you know, when Dima Bilan won or when Sergei, um, was in, you know, those artists would have been hugely known in each other's territories. Um, and actually, even this year, Russia gave Ukraine 12 points in the semi-final to go A, um, in the televote, f- f- somewhat less in the jury vote, but they still got points. Mm. So, you know, maybe the people are more forgiving than, you know, the, the people who were maybe formally appointed. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, things have been um, a little frostier from Ukraine towards Russia in terms of the points more recently. Um, so back in 2007 was the first incident we saw of this, when we had Verka Saduchka, and of course she had her song Dancing Lasha Tumbai, <laughs> and Lasha Tumbai was said to be a mondegreen. A mondegreen is a word that where you say one thing but something else is heard, and um, so it was said to sound like Russia goodbye. I want to see Russia goodbye. Mm. So that caused a bit of a, a brouhaha. But it wasn't really until 2016, after the annexation of Crimea, that things started to heat up a little bit. So in 2016, from Ukraine, we had Jamala with her song 1944. Now, this was themed around the, the deportation of Crimean Tatars in the 1940s. And this was a cultural history for Jamala. She was singing this story because, you know, her grandparents had been uh, deported from the area. Um, so I thought this was actually quite a clever way of getting a political dig in, you know, because it was exactly that kind of thing where it has a reading of reflecting the, the current modern situation, but also it's not political because it's actually got a cultural meaning as well. I was quite surprised when it won, but maybe there, it did catch that zeitgeist of anti-Russian sentiment that had been brewing a few years, I think, within the LGBT communities because of the um, the propaganda laws uh, that were introduced in Russia. And there was a lot of booing of Russia of the years, which I, I actually think is totally unfair. Yes. You should not be booing an artist no. who has nothing to do with the political regime in that country, particularly those twins, the Tomachevi oh, yeah. sisters. I mean, they were like lambs to the slaughter. It was so awful to hear them being booed by an arena full of adults who really should have known better. Um, but yes, that caused a bit of a controversy in 2016. The following year, we get Ukraine hosting because Jamala had won. And by then, they had a policy um, of having a blacklist of people who had supported the annexation of Crimea. And they had travel restrictions for anybody who entered Crimea directly from Russia instead of coming through the territory of Ukraine, to which Crimea is still agreed to belong. Now, Russia selected Yulia Samoylova, and it's arguable that Russia knew all along what they were doing because they picked her as an artist who they knew had performed in Crimea, so was on the blacklist, and also she'd made pro-Russian statements um, on her social me media. So it's felt that Russia were deliberately stoking things by picking an artist then you wouldn't be allowed to travel into Ukraine. And then, you know, allowing them to go, well, you know, this isn't fair. She should be allowed to sing on that stage. Um, I think also the fact that Yulia is a, a wheelchair user was seen by some as really trying to push the sympathy vote. And, you know, how can you possibly exclude, you know, this poor woman? So... It all felt a little bit contrived. I have to say that, yeah, I was in Ukraine. I was there a couple of months before Eurovision and we got to meet the organisers. Um, and it was a week or so before the head of delegation meeting. And there was all this, you know, will Russia pull out? Will they find a way to go? And 
the the EBU had even been trying to find a way that they could perform via satellite. You know, how prescient was that for, <laughs> you know, this year when we had Montaigne performing um, from a different country. But Russia was declining all the way and they, they did eventually um, decide that they were going to not show the Eurovision that year because Yulia couldn't travel. So the EBU said, well, we're taking that as a formal withdrawal. But this head of delegation meeting... We were there a week or so before, and the Russian delegation hadn't even booked any hotel rooms. So well before they pulled out, it really seemed like they absolutely never had any intention of going to Eurovision that year. Now, Yulia came back in 2018, and unfortunately, her song was terrible. She failed to qualify. Let's be honest, it was. And they staged it really, really appallingly as well. She basically Um, was a wheelchair mountain yes basically it was was a bit it was very strange why would you put her on top of a mountain it It looked really odd like wheelchair or no wheelchair actually just someone standing there it was just a weird choice it would have it just looked weird she also didn't sing it very well no no unfortunately I think that there was a feeling that this would all reignite the following year you know, so Russia could claim the moral high ground. Mm. And, you know, look at us, we were banned, but we brought our singer back. But the moment it passed by then, nobody, yeah. nobody, you know, cared about it by then. So, you know, Yulia, I just think, I feel really sorry for her. I know she's, you know, pro the Russian state, but that's fine. That's her politics. That's fine. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. She is a Russian citizen after all. Why would you not be proud to be who you are? I just felt she was used, yeah. and I felt that was really bad of the, the the Russian broadcaster to do that. It was unsavoury, the whole yeah. situation. But um, in 2019, things reared up again. So Marov was selected for Ukraine, and um, she won. Um, and during the show, uh, Jamala, one of the panellists, had put her on the spot, emulating how would you respond to this question from a journalist? Mm-hmm. But basically, all we, all the fans who didn't speak any Ukrainian or Russian heard was, so, I have a very uncomfortable question for you. Crimea is Ukraine? And I think people thought she was just asking her outright, you know, what's yeah. your opinion on this? But actually she was going, imagine you were in this situation and the journalist asked you there. Um, so, you know... I don't know. I mean, Jamala wanted the answer to that question and she wanted it recorded on television. Yes, maybe. But I think she was, she did set it in that scenario. Yes, she did. Specifically, it wasn't just a question out of the blue. But anyway, Maruv won. We thought she was, you know, one of the favourites to win that year. Um, But then it was announced the following day that the Ukrainian um, broadcaster had issued her with a, a... contract which required her to compromise too much, required her to cancel upcoming gigs that she had in Russia it required her to comply with all of the requests of the broadcaster not to speak to the press without the permission of the broadcaster and face a significant fine, 2 million hryvna, about 67,000 euros if she breached that they also said we'll give you no financial compensation for doing Eurovision and we're not going to pay for your trip to Tel Aviv so you know fair play to her she yeah. went well stick that and she withdrew and then they offered it to the second place act and they were like the same and they offered it to the third place act and they were the same so they just went do you know what we're going to have to pull out it was a bit of a show and what they said in their statement again 
pointing the finger at Russia. They said that the national selection has drawn attention to a systemic problem with the music industry in Ukraine, the connection of artists with an aggressor state. So mm. basically, I mean, loads of Ukrainian artists play in Russia because of this cultural connection, you know, and it's a big market for them. But, you know, the Ukrainian broadcaster was basically going, well, we want you to cut that off and have no links with this country. I mean, you know, I understand Ukraine's annoyance at Russia, you know, coming and whipping off of your country away, you know, but it just feels... This is how it's playing out so that Eurovision... We'll wait to see what the next instalment may be, but I think Ukraine and Russia are the biggest story in geopolitical nonsense at Eurovision (laughs) in recent years. Matt and Monty's good thing of the week. That is good. It's good. Oh, that's good, that is. Yes, what's that I hear? That's our jingle for good thing of the week. That is good. Um, so yeah, so I tell you what, let's lighten the mood after that. This week, we have selected a good news story, which is the 2021 Eurovision winners for Italy, Moneskin, and their chart domination, really, well, not domination, but their, their big success, and successes, plural, in the UK chart, because their... Eurovision entry did really well all across Europe, as you would imagine, as you would expect. In the UK, Zitti Ibrani charted 17th. And then I Want to Be Your Slave charted at number seven. In fact, that's just charted, I think, at number seven. Or that, that's the peak. It's least. climbed. It's climbed. Seven, yeah. It's climbed, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then like a back old back catalogue song from 2017, Begin it's just entered the chart admittedly number 73 but it's entered the chart and it's like and people were going back and listening to them and I think it's going up this week yeah. the, the, the listens and the same. yeah we're recording this midweek so you know it all changes but yeah and it's just such, such a good news story because as we touched on upon before about how Moneskin winning Eurovision is a really good thing in so many different ways and what it means for the contest what it means for that type of music and genre at Eurovision and then that is backed up by the fact that, well, people are listening to it. It's actually, that's just cold, hard facts. You get money from it. You can get money from Eurovision. Do well, go out there, put out your music, present it in the best bloody possible way. And there you go. It's- I love it. And I love the fact that I think this was a band that Eurovision fans doubted. Um, even the ones who liked them, there was still that is rock enough to win Eurovision and they've gone on to be arguably the most successful Eurovision act in a decade I know Lorraine might have had a bigger hit with Euphoria but it was only Euphoria, it was only Euphoria. it's not been you know three three singles in the UK charts you know and charting all over Europe you know they were playing in one of the Swedish summer shows just this That's right. Yeah. And lot the police to bury. And, you know, it's just fantastic. I think, you know, good on them. Make the most of your moment. And that's why they are. Matt and Monty's good thing of the week. That is good. It's good. Oh, that's good, that is. So, which of the two songs is going to be the second cherry for Russia? Well, I mean, this is marginally more suspenseful than 
say when we get to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> but of the two songs, it's no surprise really that Dvemashi with Bitter Words is the song that the team has chosen to be the second cherry for Russia. Ooh. Yeah, so that's our song. And if you're happy about that, or if you're not happy about that, let us know. You can contact us on Twitter at Second Cherry, Instagram, second underscore cherry, Facebook, Second Cherry Podcast, or you can email us at hello at secondcherry.vision. What's that, Monty? It's hello at, at sec- secondcherry.vision. Vision, not dot com. We told you before, dot vision. So, drop us a line now. If you do, we might get to read out, not in the next podcast, but in the one after that. Because by the secrets of podcasting, (laughs) we're just about to record the next episode now after this one. (laughs) And also, I had this thought on the train ride over here, Monty. Um, If anybody wants to record any audio, of course, we're going to vet it. We're not going to just put it on. (laughs) But if you want to record audio of you talking or asking questions or something oh is it like points of view yeah when people write in yeah hello send, send something in disgruntled from Tunbridge Wells <laughs> yeah <laughs> hello we've had a letter it's from Mrs Trellis of North Wales <laughs> <laughs> so yeah send in I don't, I don't care just yeah send us a message so, mm. yeah we'll, we'll put it on or yeah. do a video and we'll just put the audio into our podcast yeah, yeah why not well, there you go then. We did Russia, Monty. We did Russia. Don't know what? if we're going to get to do that. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know if we're going to get to do that again, but I'm I'm glad we have. Oh, I like it when Russia have a national final. They have had a few before. It's not always been internal selection. Yeah. And they've been cracking national finals mm. when they've had them. I mean, I know we only had a few songs in this one, but you know, they selected Manisha for goodness' sake. You know, what more do you want from a national final? Absolutely. So there we go. We're going to end there. We're going to say goodbye. And um, I hope you guys are, well, get drunk as we do. (laughs) (laughs) See you later. Bye. Bye.